Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, a show about the impacts COVID-19 is having on small businesses and the humans that run them. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, small business owner and guy whose neck is really starting to hurt from trying so hard just to find an angle to make the glass look half full. My guest today has a paleo skincare line, and we'll discuss the cash flow problems that can arise from working with huge companies like Target, as well as the immediate effects of COVID on her business, Fatco. Fun fact, my guest Cassie was in the ending segment of How I Built This, aka the rich uncle of this show. Double fun fact, Cassie is the first guest of the show to own 12 goats, or any goats. Quick reverse cry for help. This show is designed to let small business owners know you are not alone. This situation genuinely sucks for all of us, but we're going to get through it together. Like always, I'm going to give some facts and figures from the date of this interview, both to provide background and to take a snapshot of the times. So with that, here are the numbers from April 23rd, 2020. Full disclosure, I am editing this a few weeks in the future. Don't judge me, I was busy. And I let you know this only because this will allow us to compare how these numbers will evolve into May. There are currently 1.7 million active COVID-19 cases worldwide, with more than 80,000 new cases and 6,700 deaths each day. The number of new daily cases will continue to rise, up more than 40%, eventually surpassing 110,000 daily cases, but, glass half full, the mortality rate is declining. This means we are either getting better at treating patients, more, less severe cases are being diagnosed and counted, or some combination of the two. In the US, there are roughly three quarters of a million active cases. There does seem to be a flattening of the curve as the number of new daily cases is trending slightly downward, and the death rate seems to also have peaked. The daily death toll exceeded 2,000 for the two weeks in the middle of April, but seems to be steadily declining even as the number of total active cases continues to increase. Again, this indicates we are finding better ways to treat the symptoms, more people are being diagnosed with less severe symptoms, or probably some combination. On to the always depressing economic stats. 4.4 million laid-off workers filed for benefits last week and over 26 million Americans have now filed for unemployment, more than tripling, tripling the 8.8 .8 million who filed during the entire Great Recession. One optimistic outlook, though, is these will be temporary layoffs compared to the long-lasting layoffs in 2008-2009. While we theoretically should be able to turn the jobs faucet back on, economic output is projected to shrink by twice the amount it did during the Great Recession. Continuing to wear rose-colored glasses, the bounce back should be much quicker this time as businesses simply reopen, though that will obviously be more difficult and significantly less likely the longer this goes on. On to the mood ring of the rich. The Dow Jones closed up 2% at 23,475. Truly amazing that the stock market can continue to go up with one in six Americans having lost their job in the last five weeks. All right, enough with the big macro numbers. Let's zoom in and see how things are on the ground. My guest today is Cassie Bernvoth, founder and CEO of Fatco, whose skincare line includes body butter, 
hair oil, cleansing oils, face creams, deodorants, and more, all based around beef tallow. Please don't tell my vegan dad. With a degree in mechanical engineering and a dedication to clean living, Cassie has created a two-employee company that from the outside looks like it has a hundred. Looking forward to hearing just how Cassie does it. Cassie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your skincare company, kind of where you put the emphasis, how you started, uh, and kind of what sets you apart from other skincare companies. For sure. So we are using an ingredient that's a little bit different. We are using tallow, which is rendered beef fat from grass-fed pasture-raised cows in a lot of our products. So that's an ingredient that you're not really going to see a lot in other brands. Um, I started the company in 2014, and it was really started as a result of me just wanting to find cleaner skincare products. I did my first Whole30 in 2012. I started eating a lot more cleanly. And for me, that just kind of transitioned into paying a lot more attention to the labels on the skincare and personal care products that I was using. Um, you know, the skincare category is one that's not really well regulated. And there are a lot of really nasty ingredients in a lot of the stuff that you find on store shelves. So I started the brand because I was looking for really truly clean, natural products to use and I just couldn't find them. Um, so that, that was the reason I started the business. Right. And you came at it from kind of a, a corporate background, but one that was way out in left field from the, the from at least relative to the, to the skincare industry. You came from a mechanical engineering background. Yes. So I went to college for mechanical engineering, got my degree in 2005, and I worked for 10 years in automotive manufacturing. So we did a lot, we made a lot of printed circuit board assemblies, a lot of stuff that I say you'd find in the, you know, under the hood of your car or in your computer. It was, you know, it was large scale manufacturing, definitely not skincare related. Um, so just about everything you're doing right now is just is so starkly different from the world that you existed in in, in the first decade out of college, meaning the, yeah. the industry is different. Your workplace is different. One of the things you you were telling me about in the, the pre-interview is how you, you can appreciate so much more like A, the flexibility, but yeah. B, coming, you know, wearing yoga pants to work every day rather than, you know, something the the classic dress uh corporate yeah. corporate attire Bus business casual is the worst <laughs> i always <laughs> hated it um yeah very you know very different industries for sure but you know one thing that i think gave me an advantage when i was working in my manufacturing job i was in charge of costing so you know if somebody comes and says they want a million widgets i was in charge of telling the sales team how much that widget would cost to manufacture so in the beginning, I worked up really detailed spreadsheets for my cost analysis. So I knew from the beginning how much it cost me to make all my products. And I would always wow. laugh when you watch Shark Tank and they ask, oh, well, what are your costs? And they're like, oh, I, like they don't know. They have no idea. And I always right. thought, how do you not know that? Because that was just something that I was that I knew really well from the beginning. Uh, I feel like the, the answer in Shark Tank is always, I don't know what the cost is, but we'll make it up in volume. 
Right. Um, yeah, that's that's so interesting. I was actually going to ask you, and this is like the perfect segue. I was going to ask you what skills you were able to take from that more corporate side and implement, because it does seem at first like it's really, really different. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're selling a widget over here and yeah, it might be an automotive widget. And then now you're selling, you know, widget B in the skincare line, in the skincare industry, but you're still having to cost out the, the, the cogs in your physical product and then get it to a shelf or get it to the yeah. end consumer at a price that makes sense both for them and then obviously for the industry as well. So yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I use Excel every day and I learned Excel extensively in my engineering job and you use Excel all the time when you're putting together cost sheets, when you are doing accounting. I mean, we do accounting stuff every day, right, Grant? Yeah, um, so <laughs> almost that, every know, day starts with QuickBooks. Yep. Yeah, um, pivot tables come in really handy. Like, there's a lot that you can do in Excel that that I've used a lot in the last six years. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, there should be a heavier emphasis on learning Excel in, yeah. in college. It's actually one of my things. One of my to do lists right now is to use this kind of weird COVID time that is is just so different from where what we've been doing the last six years how my day-to-day -day looks to set aside some time to actually get better at excel because i do feel like uh there's so many there's so much unused potential there that I, uh, totally yeah um okay so first of all i was looking at your website and i love that you refer to your deodorant as stank stop <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> was, was that was that your your creative genius there it was. Uh, I think from the beginning, I always wanted names. I always wanted names that were going to be catchy and memorable. So when we when we first launched, we were Fat Face. We were a different brand name, and I wanted that because I wanted it to be memorable. Who's going to forget a company called Fat Face? Like that's very different. Not me. And honestly, I wanted to be able to get the URL. I wanted the website, the web domain. Oh <laughs> but, right. But with the brand names, I've always wanted stuff. I w I've always wanted names that were catchy and memorable. And I think people love the Stank Stop name. Yeah, I definitely do. And you're 100% right about having a brand name that is memorable. Uh, you and I met at Paleo FX, I believe, for the first time yeah. in probably 2015, 2016. So, so like, relatively recent. Uh, or sorry, re yeah, relatively recently after you had started your company and, and, and I think I was maybe one year in front, but we were both yeah. kind of in the, the infancy or, or maybe toddler stages. But I remember that you've always had really good branding kind of from, from day one. I feel like we, we took a while probably because I had too much input in the beginning and I'm, that's not my strength at all. And I probably should have listened to other <laughs> people more rather than be like, Hey, here's my, here's my idea. And I feel like our, as our, our, our branding continues to, to get better, it's probably because I've let go more and more, at least I've, I've, I've tried to, yeah. uh, my, my sisters do our, our packaging now. And I, okay. I hope they would agree that, uh, <laughs> or actually I'm sure they would agree that things have improved as I've just like taken my big head out of the conversation, uh, and just been like, Hey, here are the, the bare minimums we need and you do everything else. But you, yeah. you, uh, did a phenomenal job. Did you do your branding yourself or did you, did you hire someone to, to do that for you? Well, thank you for the compliment on the branding. I appreciate it. Um, we, we had someone else do it. So uh, we had someone else do it in the very beginning when we launched. I had actually a high school friend who does graphic design. And then um, 
in 2015, we had a trademark dispute. We had a trademark issue, which is actually why we rebranded. So when we did that, we, we paid a, a company called Shelf Studio out of Austin, Texas. And they're just amazing. And I think our new branding is beautiful and just really well done. But we paid them. Um, I cannot take credit for any of our, any of our creative because we, we, we paid someone else to do it. Well, it's really well done. And I guess shout out to Shelled Creative out of Austin, Texas. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's just do a, a little uh, quantitative uh, background before we kind of move into the, the effects of COVID. But so before February 1, we'll say. So before there was any, before COVID was really on anyone's uh, business radar. Yeah. Talk to me about just the, the the size of your company, kind of some of your, uh, in terms of employees, a, co a couple of your bigger accounts, just so we kind of get a sense of, of of where you were when this all started. Yeah. So we, before everything happened, we we were two people. Um, we we are a small company. It's myself and my husband Tim. My husband Tim is packet is packing and shipping all the packages that you receive on your doorstep. He is doing all our logistics and planning. Um, fulfilling our target orders. He does all of our operations and logistics. And then myself, who does all of our marketing, our sales, every, basically everything else. So we were a small team of two and we sell our products direct to consumer through our website. We are on Amazon, Thrive Market. Um, some of our bigger accounts, Target, we've been in Target for about two years and we had actually just launched we had delivered product and it had gotten on store shelves at TJ Maxx. So we were doing a test with TJ Maxx. That was really exciting. Um, that was kind of the state of our business. Things were good. Um, you know, just kind of plugging along. We had a really strong holiday, which is always fun to kind of see how November and December shake out. Um, closing up the books for 2019, getting ready to do our taxes. Um, yeah, you know, all, th things were great. Yeah. And, and I think that because I know a little bit more about your company, I feel like you're, you're undersell or a, it can, you could interpret your last answer as maybe that you're, that you're smaller. You're not a farmer's market company. You're like a, a very much, I know there's just two of you, but that's because you're, yeah. probably, you're probably outsourcing a, a decent amount of it. right? Yeah. So we outsource our manufacturing. Um, what else? I mean, we do most stuff in-house. We do our fulfillment in-house. We outsource our manufacturing, but I don't know what more than that we outsource. Yeah. I do all of our social. I do all of the our email newsletters. A lot of our creative stuff comes from internal. So uh, yeah, we're not, we're not a farmer's market company, but we're also not, uh, you know, Schmidt's native. We're not like a huge, we're not large. I always, you know, I think people, we have not had a year where we've broken a million dollars. I think okay. a lot of a lot of companies can kind of use that as a target. You know, if you are in business, you know what it takes to hit a million. We've had a couple of years where we've come close, but we haven't. Yeah, ever. Cassie. The the more I talk to you, the more similarities I'm finding between your story and and, and, yeah. and my, uh, mine, both like individually and from a business standpoint. Like <laughs> having lived in Boston and then San Diego and working yeah. with with you know close family and keeping the keeping the payroll tight which is good. And we'll get more into that later uh, when you start to hit bumps like COVID. Yeah. But okay, so let's go ahead and 
and and move into the segment. Um, we, we were in BC as that's before COVID, and yeah. we're going to go ahead and, and and start to get into kind of the, the nitty gritty of how things are evolving and impacting you in the last. At this point, we are it's April twenty third, so yeah. we're about I would say six ish weeks into full COVID. Yeah, I, I just read this morning. Um, in the last five weeks, twenty six million people have filed for unemployment. So yeah. things are getting very real. I guess yeah. the 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 slight uh, the the slight upside of the last numbers is the people the number of people who are applying for unemployment is decreasing each week. But it's mm. but it but that that, that is still. Uh, it went from like 6 million to 5 million to 4 million, <laughs> yeah, that's... but keeping in mind the prior record was 700,000. Yeah. So even though it's get it's getting less, uh, the, the number is each week is going down. Yeah. It's still like it would have been absolutely record setting if it were any time before five weeks ago. So yeah. it's like there's this, there's, this, there's this new normal yeah. in terms of unemployment numbers but it's kind of like we're just running out of people who can even file for unemployment. Yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is because I want you to talk just a little bit about how you think you've been able to weather this storm. As you said, there's, it's just you and your husband, Tim. Yeah. And how that has allowed you to maybe be more creative or, or, or you haven't had to lay people off at least. Yeah. Right. So maybe yeah. you should just talk to me a little, a little bit about that. Sure. So, and I forget when California established a stay-in-place order. I forget exactly what the date was. But uh, yeah, I think I think we're about uh, a little over a month in at this point. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and but I you're think, in Nor I you're think in Northern like California. So, yeah. So you, so you may have you started a little bit earlier than we did. Yeah, like, and I like five days ahead. Yeah, and I think like a week before was when San Francisco had, or maybe it was longer, because I I remember seeing that and thinking, oh crap, that's that's a big deal. It's coming. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, we we are small. We are two human beings who live together as well, right? So that that makes it different too, because we we can come into the office because if we're sheltering place in sheltering in place at home, we can come into the office together. If we're going to infect each other, we're going to infect each other. Um, right. so yeah, we, you know, we are small, we are two people. And when those stay in place, when those stay in place orders went into effect, it really didn't affect us to be honest, Grant, because we thought, yeah, California is supposed to be staying home, but we are in an office with, it's just us two. Like, why can't we go in and just, kind of continue operations as normal. So we did. We, you know, Tim and I joke like our days haven't really changed all that much because we're just coming in and it's business as usual a little bit for us when it comes to coming into the office and doing fulfillment and all that stuff. I I feel for companies that have a lot of employees right now because that would definitely be something that's really hard to maneuver. Um, but we I think are lucky. It's a good time to be small, right? We are lucky yeah. that we don't have to worry about that and deal with that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Our, our stories are so similar. Yeah. It's my, my dad and I are, are coming into the office still. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's, and we both live one block from our office and walk, you know, separately and meet here in the morning. And, and it, if things haven't really changed all that much, he has his part of the office. I have my part of the office. We don't really face to face at all in the office, but as far as the day to day goes, it seems like as far as the day to day of what I personally am doing physically is, is still very similar. But yeah. as far as what I'm doing in the office, I would say that things are relatively uh, upended and, and chaotic because so many of my customers, and I've talked about yeah. this on, a, on prior episodes, but so many of my, of my customers are, are uh, really like, like truly sheltering and like barricading themselves in, uh, like trying to insulate themselves from this storm. Um, whether that's adjusting their hours or just shutting down completely or like paring down their offerings. And so it, it's made it such that everyone has so many other stresses going on, at least yeah. with the, the mom and pops that I'm interacting with, that bringing on new customers is something that is just, it, it, now is just not the time. Right? Yeah. bringing on new products, I should say. Yeah. Now, is, now is not the time. Yeah. And so I, that's why I was saying earlier, like maybe I have time to explore to, uh, learning more about Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Or, or and, and we've basically been using this time to think outside the box. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about how this has affected your, maybe not your, your physical day-to-day, but you, know, you and I are in, although we're both in kind of the, the natural better for you world, and we see each other at, at the same, uh, you know, trade show industry trade shows and conferences, but obviously we're selling two very different products. I'm selling a, a a vegan food product and you're selling a, a, uh, animal product, uh, you know, skincare line. Yeah. But talk to me a little bit about, uh, how your customer base is, is, weathering the storm and how they're reacting and how that is impacting you on a, on a day to day? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, even like a company like ours, our channels or all of our our selling channels are so different and so differently impacted. Right. So let's take them one by one thrive market. I don't know if you shop thrive market, but I do. And I went to shop on their site the other day and it was like closed. I was like, what? I can't even add stuff to my cart. They have seen such a massive influx of orders in the last month that they're they're basically closing their website to not accept more orders because they're so far behind. So we actually, we've seen some pretty decent orders from Thrive Market in the last month, surprisingly. Um, because they're you know trying to keep up with that demand, that so quickly increased demand. Amazon, you, we saw a lot of people shopping on Amazon in the weeks after, you know, people don't want to go out to stores. So they're really switching to Amazon, but also Amazon. If you shop Amazon, you know that if you go on and you, you find a product that's prime for me, it's telling me like next delivery, May 15th. Yeah. This is not the Amazon that we know. Like, so we're, I, it's so interesting to me to see how um, you know, target.com and walmart.com and these other .coms are seeing that Amazon's having a little bit of a hard time right now as far as delivery goes and how they're pivoting to, you know, Target is offering free two-day shipping because they're trying to take a piece of this pie right now. Um, Target, while our in-store sh- sales have not, have probably decreased, our target.com sales have actually increased. 
So we are, we're see, still seeing consistent orders from Target, um, but it's, a, it's very heavily impacted by the fact that their .com is seeing a lot more activity. Right. And our, so, uh, yeah. That, oh, no. I, so I was just going to say, and I, I think I've, I think I've talked about this on prior episodes, but we have made it in a, a point to avoid grocery and e-com yeah. over the last four or five years because those are just very crowded spaces we felt like that required yeah. a little bit more they're just very resource resource demanding you constantly yeah. have to be fending off others with both de defensively by purchasing specific keywords and yeah. then also offensively trying to of course increase your market share yeah and then from a from from a grocery standpoint, like it's just it's such a battle to 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 get good shelf space, yeah. to get good placement, to make sure that your product is 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 moving off the shelf because getting in and that's that's just step one, like yeah, of of a of just a, a constant like you're trying to to I don't know keep the the waters from overflowing or I, I don't know it's a horrible analogy. I totally but, agree. I've kind of avoided grocery as well because yeah. of all the things you mentioned. And so it seems like, like for, I know for us, that seemed like a smart strategy before this all started, but now grocery and e-com are the two channels that are actually still working, yeah. but very difficult to get into now, True. right? No, no gro I've talked to grocery store buyers and they're like, yeah, you got a great product, but we're not bringing on anything new. What are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like e-com is maybe not quite to the same extent. But for the most part, I mean, Thrive is is a big company. Like they're they're very well established, and so to hear that they are closing down, I mean, or, or at least hitting the pause yeah. button and allowing yeah. supply to kind of b build back up, tells me that they're experiencing something somewhat or very similar, I guess, to what grocery is in terms yeah. of kind of circling the wagons and and uh, just focusing on the products that they already carry. Yeah. So you do a I think a, a lot of e-com and it sounds like you you are especially compared to the other people who I've talked to you're relatively well positioned to yeah. make it through all of this because of your um established established presence in e-commerce and your your smaller uh em, employee payroll, right? Like you can scale yeah. up production when needed because that's outsourced. Uh, which is very, again, very similar to what, what we do. We don't have our own bakery. So we basically, as long as we're buying enough ingredients and, yeah. and we just put in a purchase order and, and we're good. Yeah. And then you're also, I think, well positioned because you do you have, is there a, I'm sorry, I'm super unfamiliar with the world of skincare, but I assume there is a printed expiration date on what you are producing, but it's probably very long relative to the, the food world at least, right? Yeah. So we, we don't use any preservatives in any of our products. So it's okay. all, all fat and oil. There's no water in our formulation. So that, that allows you to not use preservatives and have a shelf stable product. Now we tell people to open the product within two years of the manufacturing date and then to use it within six months. So there is a shelf life. It's not crazy long, but it is long enough that we, you know, we don't have issues there. Right. And I think that that is something that is, that, that really is an upside for your business right now. Yeah. Because so for example, I had a woman on who owns a, uh, um, 
they they supplied duck to Michelin star restaurants and then also, you know, all the way down oh. to, to consumers. Yeah. And they're actually, they're in Petaluma. And she was saying she works on a, I believe a, I can't remember if it was either a five week or a, a nine week buying cycle, meaning mm. she's sourcing the duck. But if, you know, wh- what are you going to do? So trying to plan nine weeks out in advance, well, this COVID thing seems like it's been going on forever. But like we were saying earlier, we're, we're we're in California, which was one of the first states to implement the yeah. shelter in place laws or rules or guidelines. But it, that was only six weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And it, but it seems like it's been like this, this way forever. Yeah. So she is still on the hook for all of this product that she, that she had committed to. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's going to be three more weeks so before she's even at the end of that, that, pre-COVID buying cycle. Yeah. So how often are you producing? How have you had to, or have you made any adjustments on your production side to accommodate for the the changing landscape related to COVID? Um, we haven't really had our supply chain or manufacturing been affected. I'm going to say yet, because one thing um, that, that I kind of realized the other day is, um, for instance, deodorant, the packaging that we use for our deodorant sticks that is um, sourced through a company in Canada. And I'm pretty sure it's manufactured in China, but I'm really scared. We need to order more of those for an upcoming production order. And I'm scared to know what the lead time is going to be. Cause what I've seen from a packaging standpoint is a lot of stuff being out of stock. And I think it's because a lot of packaging is coming from overseas. Um, so right. that's, that's one place where I'm a little nervous. You know, if they call us and tell us, oh, lead times, you know, six months, we're in a lot of trouble. Um, right. So right. we'll kind of see what happens there. But from a raw material standpoint, we haven't really been impacted. We use one company called Fatworks for all of our tallow. That's who, who we source all of our tallow from. Um, we've had conversations with him. I think things are okay. But as I'm sure you realize, like this is an ever changing, so quickly changing. So situation. quickly. Who knows what's going to happen next week. So, you know, the packaging lead time, that's one place that we've kind of seen a little bit of disruption, but everything else has not been really all that bad as far as, you know, disruption goes. But that's great news. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's refreshing to have someone on the show who isn't like super negatively impacted. And I yeah. like, I, you know, I think it obviously comes from the the strength of the core um, of where you have put your resources into, into building, you know, uh, a, a strong business model that is more reliant on e-com, which is, yeah. I think, you know, like we talked about earlier, one of the few pillars of the, of the economy that's actually still doing well. So from a, from a revenue standpoint, how is April looking for you compared to say January or February before all of the shelter in place and, and hoarding started? Yeah. Right. Um, I'm going to say that we've seen approximately like a 25% dip in sales. Okay. It hasn't been crazy drastic, but we've definitely been, I'm going to say hit. Um, I think that when, People are afraid if they're going to have a job next week, they are a little bit more hesitant to buy a $14 stick of deodorant. 
like our products, you know, there, this is a time where we're realizing that maybe our products are more of a want than a need. And I've even done it from a consumer standpoint, like I've even done it from my end. Um, as far as, you know, you don't know what the, when you don't know what the future holds, you kind of pull in the reins a little bit on your spending. Like Tim and I are like, we save so much money by not going out to eat or, you know, doing all the regular stuff that you do day to day. And, um, I think that's because people are just nervous and, you know, I think the food industry has seen, or a lot of my friends that sell food have seen really strong sales because everyone's like, I need, I need to stockpile food, but they might not be doing that with deodorant or face cream. They might be looking at that expenditure as one that could probably wait until I know if I can pay my rent. So um, I'm not surprised that our sales have been impacted, um, but you know I, I I do feel lucky that we haven't been impacted as hard as other you know it it's I think what I responded to in your questionnaire was it's it's bad but it could be worse. Right. Yeah. I mean, twenty five percent. That's <laughs> being having sales only be down twenty five percent. I feel like is you're in the 90th percentile. Yeah. Like you're, you're in a, you're in a, it, you know, if I had told you a year ago that, Hey, your sales are going to go down 25%, you know, month over month, just in, in the spring, you'd be like, uh, what the hell are you talking about? Why? Yeah. <laughs> but, but when you juxtapose that with people being down 80%, well, yeah. that actually doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. But can you break down for me where that loss in sales is coming? Is that uniform across all your channels or is that, in-store sales are down 90%, but uh, online sales are up 30%. And when you kind of, when you kind of average everything out, that's how you get to, to being down 25% overall. Like I know for us, yeah. our direct to businesses, like our, our wholesale side of things is just like, it, it's been wiped out. It's, it's nearly, it's, it's nearly extinct at this point. Like it's non-existent. Yeah, it's, I, I cannot. Uh, oh, there, there's no exaggeration there when I say that things have come to like a grinding halt. Yeah, like when we would normally have a hundred wholesale orders, I would say we're down to like three or four. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, but on the other side of that, our e-com sales have gone up tremendously, like probably three hundred percent. I would say. Yeah. But but our e-com sales are normally such a small percentage of our business that even yeah. though they've tripled or quadrupled, it has nowhere near made up for our our loss of sales that are usually in the in brick and mortar, the, the juice bars and the coffee shops. So can you can you break down your side where you're if if you've seen an increase in e-com and that's helping to balance out the loss or just kind of give me a, a little bit more of a of a detailed look at at your revenue sources and how they've been affected. Yeah, I mean I'm going to say in general it's kind of across the board. We we don't have a ton of retail. Target is probably our biggest retail account. We have some other mom and pops, but we don't see tons tons of sales through that, you know, B2B channel. Um, Target hasn't really changed all that much because I think that they're seeing a lot more dot-com sales and that's kind of balancing out the store stuff. So that's stayed pretty consistent. Um, And our, you know, our e-com 
and I lump our fatco.com and our Amazon all under e-com. Um, that, that is, that is, it's a bulk of our business. So that, you know, it's, I'm going to say it's kind of been spread across the board. Okay. Interesting. And I guess we might as well, might as well hit it now. Um, you know, you, we've talked about target and, and I understand you've been with them for two years, but I believe that, that you're coming to the, to the end of that road. Can you tell me more about why that is? You know, I know when we had first started talking about having you on the business or on, on the pod, just four, three or four weeks ago, we were talking about maybe a larger order for target. And now, you know, there's, there's no order for target. Um, yeah. kind of walk me through. That was a, a, weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when everything first started happening, I think a lot of big companies were, they just sent all their employees home. And if you as a business were prepared for your employees to work from home, you were good. But if you weren't, you weren't. So I think Target is a company that has the infrastructure. They have a lot of people, you know, if you're, if your employees don't have a laptop, they can't work from home. So we saw a lot of really weird stuff. We get their orders electronically every week from Target. And we saw a lot of weird stuff in those first two, three weeks. We saw like a really big order come in and we were initially excited. Then we talked to our broker and they were like, don't fulfill that. We're going to cancel it. We think it, we think that they just kind of switched into their automated, automated planning mode. And that's a, it's kind of like, a, it's a fake purchase order. Don't fulfill it. And we're like, oh, okay. And then the a next fake week, purchase this, order. Yeah. Like just ignore that. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so then the next week, the same thing happened again and we ended up canceling it again. So we had a couple weeks where we didn't have any target POs because we, there was just some confusion as to like what was going on with their planning. Um, but yeah, so we, we found out, I want to say it was Monday, um, that we w were not going to be carried in Target anymore. So we, we launched in January of 18. We had two, well, they're pulling us out in July. So it will have been two and a half years of really great business with Target. I have no complaints. It was, a, I think, a great retail account. But the challenge with retail, like you were saying with grocery, is like once you get in, that's step one. Step two is you got to move that product. You got to have customers buy it off the shelf. And if customers aren't buying it off the shelf, the buyers that are in charge of the products that sit on those store shelves are responsible for numbers, for profit. They are responsible for meeting quotas to their managers that, you know, some might think are un impossible, but I digress. <laughs> We, right. you know, we were on store shelf for two, two and a half years, and we just didn't perform as well as they wanted us to perform. So they decided to pull us off. Um, we did attempt to present to the deodorant buyer because like for me in a perfect world, we, a couple of months ago, we launched two new deodorant scents and um, we now have four SKUs in the deodorant set. And I think that our product would be great in the deodorant aisle of Target, um, but they we presented to them and they kind of gave us a hard no. I don't know if they just have a lot of other stuff going on right now, what the deal is, but you know, they have, they have Schmitz, they have native, they have a lot of other deodorant brands in the deodorant aisle at target. I personally still don't think they're offering enough safe, clean, natural alternatives. You have companies like secret and degree that are still buying a lot of that shelf space. If we're being honest, 
Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, that's what happened. We just, we didn't perform as well as they wanted us to. And that's why they're pulling us, pulling us off store shelves. Well, first of all, I, I'm sorry, and I can relate. Uh, we we had kind of a similar issue with Whole Foods, where it was semi, where the distributor that we were using basically said that we weren't moving enough product, and we chose not to go get another distributor to try to replace that business because we yeah. felt like it was just such a resource sucking account for us at the time yeah. that we just didn't have the resources to to throw at. Right. I mean, when when we're doing demos at Whole Foods, you know, good demo, you sell 60 or 70 units. And obviously we're selling energy bars. So it's a 60 or 70 units for us. That's like we're making twenty five dollars. Right. Yeah. And but we're paying someone seventy five dollars yeah. to be there. So yeah. unless you have, you know, an, an extra and, and that's like a bare minimum. Right. So. Yeah. That, that's like a, that's a good day. You have some days where you go in for a lunchtime demo and it's just a slow day for whatever reason and you sell 20 or 30. Okay, great. You made $8. You still paid someone 75 or a hundred dollars to be there. Yeah. And that, that just doesn't work. It's just really, really hard. Yeah. So I know for us, we, we kind of moved from, from the whole foods demos to the, to the Costco road shows where we can do literally like, 50 times more because people are just buying at such a higher rate and like there's yeah. always foot traffic. And, and so for us, that was great. Of course, now with all of Costco roadshows being canceled, it doesn't really seem so smart. Now we would much rather be in whole foods than, than zero Costco because we are yeah. only doing the roadshows. And so that was, that's been really difficult for us as you move away from target, like where are you going to be moving your your focus to and what can even replace target yeah so i'm really i'm personally um the last week two weeks i've been doing a lot of work on our amazon so we i think my hope is that we can make up for those sales through amazon i think amazon is such a powerhouse as far as selling platforms go we we do okay business but i think there's so much potential we should be doing more especially when you look at other brands that are selling in our category. Um, I'm really hoping we can make up for that business through direct to consumer and Amazon. I, I personally think that a lot of people that were buying our products at target knew about us already. And um, you know, people, I don't think we we're getting a lot of people that were like discovering us on target store shelves. Um, I mean, maybe some were, maybe some were, but I think a lot of people that know about our brand find out about us through other, you know, channel like social or word of mouth or something like that. So, um, while I, while I'm bummed that we're losing this business, I don't, it's not the end of Fatco. Like the, and I think that's one of the benefits that, that we have of being set up as a mainly direct to consumer e-com business is that when we lose that retail account, we're not going to go out of business next week or in yeah. July. And that, that, that actually is, um, it's really interesting. If people, it's one thing if people are really used to buying your product at one place, like if, they, if, they, if you're only available at Sephora or you're yeah. only available at, or people are, are in, you know, in my world, we'll, we'll use Whole Foods as, as the example. Yeah. Well, people are going to that store and if your product isn't there, then maybe they're, that they're just not going to buy your product at all. 
right? Oh, I, yeah. I can't find this. Oh, Trader Joe's stopped carrying this, so this product. So I'm just, I'm not, it's going to be, I'm just going to find a substitute good for it. Yeah. Right. But if you're look, if you're used to buying something online, you could, you could consider your storefront kind of shopping experience to a certain extent, just sitting in your chair and either on your phone or on your computer and just doing the shopping and looking to find it. Right. Yeah. Like if you're going to buy a pair of sunglasses, you're probably going to look on Amazon and you're probably going to look on that, that, uh, brand's website. If it, assuming you're not just buying some like, you know, little knockoff, knockoff sunglasses, yeah. but if you're buying like something, you're probably gonna go to the brand's page and you're probably gonna go to Amazon yeah. and maybe a third one. And so if something isn't available on target.com, they're probably going to go to Amazon. And so you, I, I could see that being you retaining a lot of customers more so than you would if it were just brick and mortar and someone was going to a store. Oh, I can't find this product anymore. Well, then I guess I'm just going to find something else. Yeah. Right? So, I, so yeah. I, hopefully you have some of that brand loyalty. And I know you, yeah. you provide a, a very high quality product that I do think is very differentiated from a, a, from the competition. And so I would imagine that you will probably retain a lot of that. And obviously that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's my hope too. We'll see yeah. what happens. Um, so I th I th the, the second part of that question that I, I said I had, I don't know, five minutes ago was uh, it was in relation to, to something that I saw that you, you had put on, on the, my little questionnaire that I created um, about uh, common misconceptions. And so oh, yeah. I think I'm, I think I think based off of your answers, I want to create a, a, a new segment that I'm going to I think the, the working title is going to be called If Only You Knew. And <laughs> yeah. and that's for the, the consumers who are who are well-meaning, who want to like give you advice and do the Hey, hey, have you ever thought about X? Right. And and one of the things that you had put was like, hey, why don't you just sell at whatever? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so I'm sure in like six months, someone's going to come up to you and they're going to say, Hey, why don't you sell at target? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, what do you, what do you do with those questions? I guess. Um, I've become really good at politely answering and explaining to them that it's, it's tricky. Like getting into stores is very difficult. I think I might have posted something about it on social media a couple months ago. And it, my, my message was, if you like a brand and you want to support them, buy their stuff. Because if, if, if you talk about liking their products and you, you tell your friends and family and like, that's, that's all well and good. But unless you are buying those products off the store shelf, when a brand gets launched into a retail location, um, that, that's, that's how you support the brands is by buying their stuff. Um, yeah, yeah it's, at, the, at I, the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is just yeah, voting, the, voting with your dollars. Yeah. Because if you don't, and I think that, you know, this target situation is a prime example. If you don't, um, they'll, t they'll remove you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as answering that question, that's all I think that, I think that, a lot of consumers just don't know. They don't know how the world of retail works. I didn't know anything about it. I've learned it all in the last six years. Um, but a lot of people don't know that it's to get your product on a store shelf like Whole Foods is really hard and takes a long time. Um, I'm going to adjust my headphone here. I know it's going to be noisy for you. Um, 
getting onto store shelves is really hard and it takes a long time. Being in an account like Whole Foods is not something that you just ask them to put your product on the shelf and they, right. they're like, oh yeah, great, uh, let's do it. Um, it is it is a long and typically a long and arduous journey to get a new brand on a store shelf. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I think I think people just don't know, you know. Yeah, well, you can't and, fault and, them and, for that. Right, of course. Yeah, exactly. And and, and something that I I want to circle back to is when you were talking about some of your your bigger competitors who I'm sure some of them are like owned by by Unilever yeah. or you know whatever like company that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but own a million other companies. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, like, you know, Tom's is not Tom's, right? I mean, yeah. and Tom's is not uh, a, a, an independently operated company. <laughs> not they owned, are owned by Tom. By, right. <laughs> yeah. T- Tom is no longer, is no longer Tom's uh, in the Bahamas a part of it. on a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tom. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I guess w- where I was going with that is these bigger companies have so many more resources to prop up their businesses and to to scale quickly, but to like to to truly um, to buy to literally buy better shelf space, yeah. and that's why. So for us, like when we were at Whole Foods, we we went out and sold directly into thirty independent Whole Foods locations but we weren't part of their planogram, which is mm-hmm. kind of the, the, like the master map that every store uses to yeah. put places, to put products in the same, same places. And then there's like 10% of the store is uh, flexible and variable and, and up to the independent or to the, to the individual st- um, category managers as far as yeah. placement goes. So we'd be getting like, I always joke that in order to find our product at, you know, random whole foods that you would basically have to like, go to the back room, go to the janitor's closet, get a special key, go into the, into like the, the Chronicles of Narnia wardrobe, like just to try to find our products. And it's like, if I, as the owner, if it takes me 10 minutes to find our product in a store, then unless you just have the absolute like top 1% dedicated consumer, people are just going to, they're going to look for it. And they're like, Oh, can't find it. Finding a substitute good moving right along. And for us, like we were competing with companies like kind bar, who somehow, even though they have 35 SKUs and I swear they all taste the same, yeah, they still get, you know, 25 linear feet of shelf space, prime eye level location. And for them, they're not even coming out with, with new SKUs to try to improve sales. They're coming out with new SKUs just to take up more shelf space and therefore yeah. decrease the shelf space that's available to their competitors, which yeah. is obviously something that's different in, for brick and mortar versus online where you can just, you can list as many companies as you want. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cause I like, I'm pretty sure secret deodorant doesn't need 10 front facings of Pacific breeze. Like <laughs> it's not, <laughs> if somebody wants to find it, they're going to find it. You don't need like 10 and front facing just means like what you see on the shelf like the amount of shelf space that is dominated by those Procter and Gamble and like those big business brands is just insane, especially in the deodorant category. And most people just don't notice it because you don't notice those things. But when you're in the space, you do. And it's just crazy. Right. Yeah. And, and that's another thing is when people are like, Hey, why don't you, what you should sell here. Right. Well, 
a lot of those here places, and, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about how this is specifically for skincare, but I know in, again, going back to, to my space, if you want to be on the shelf in certain stores, you have to pay. Like I, I talked to a buyer and this was like maybe three years ago. I talked to a buyer at Gelson's, which is kind of an upscale specialty grocery yeah. store. And they have, ooh, I don't know, 15, 20, somewhere in that, in that ballpark, 25 locations. So, you know, Whole Foods has four, between four and 500 locations, I think. Yeah. So Gelson's is like, they're, you know, they're a regional player and whatever. And when I talked to their buyer, he stopped me really early in the conversation and said, hey, just so you know, it's 10 grand to get on our stores, to get on our store shelves. Okay, well, that's the end of this conversation because yeah. we're a small company and, and honestly, you sell 50 other energy bars and for us yeah. to make up, you know, to, to pay for that 10 grand shelf placement is just, it's unrealistic to assume that our sales in any sort of near-term time horizon is going to cover that, that, yeah. that cost. That's insane. Right? Because that means we need, we need to sell 40,000 bars or something like that in order to cover that, that 10,000. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just not going to happen. And I, is, is it similar? And, and for us, you basically in the natural space, you're generally going to be for, for kind of the, the A tier stores, you're going to be asked to provide free fills, which is a free box of product yeah. of each flavor that you want carried there. So we have five flavors. We go into Whole Foods. Their buyer goes, great. I need five free boxes. So yeah. the, that first round of, of that first PO that you're going to get or that first round of placement, you're basically just giving the product away. And yeah. those stores can, they have enough cachet where they can ask that. And that's industry standard. And then you yeah. have the conventional side of stores and they ask for money rather than and not ask, yeah. they, they demand, they set the price. Hey, rather this is how much this shelf product. is going to cost. Oh, you want an end cap? Great. That's how this is going to be that much more. I, is it very, is it similar in, in the, um, the skincare world as well? Yeah. You know, I mean, we had some early on, I think we had some conversations with Whole Foods and we had, we got to that point and, you know, they, they send you all the paperwork sprouts as well. I think there's a, you know, the free fill thing. It's a thing, yep. the skincare category for sure. Um, I just think it's asinine. Like, and I think this is why the grocery channel is struggling and will continue to struggle. Um, because until they realize that they need us just as much as we need them, Grant, that's what I right. think has always been funny about these relationships is that you act like you're doing me a favor by putting my product on your store shelf. But if you want consumers to continue to come in and shop your stores, you need to continue to bring them new and innovative brands. And if you're if your desire is to work with small, innovative brands, those small, innovative brands can't afford a $10,000 placement. Like it's just unrealistic. So if you want to continue to carry all the bullshit products you've been, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? If you want to continue to carry only, you know, the old, same old products, great. Good job keeping your customers coming around because people want new, they want new innovation. And if they can only find that on Amazon, they're going to go to Amazon. Like this idea that brands should just jump up and 
you know, do whatever you say because you're a category buyer at a grocery store and, uh, and plus, hey, we need 10 grand. I mean, it's insane. It's insane that that kind of an industry can continue to function in that way. I, I see big sweeping changes coming in the future. I don't know how that's going to look, but I just, I don't see this buyer, distributor, UNFI, small brand. I don't see these relationships working the way they're currently set up to work. And I think that there are changes that are happening, force changes. And I think grocery has to change to continue to survive. That is so well put. I, abs I, I agree with every single thing you just said. I think that stores, it, it's like, do you replicate what other successful stores are doing 100% in order to do what you think is, 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 the, is the industry standard? Okay, well, if everyone is selling the exact same thing, then wouldn't you just go to the place that has the best prices? And then at that point, it just becomes a race to the bottom. It seems like stores, you know, the way that you that they set themselves, that they can set themselves apart is by offering those newer, innovative products that especially I think the the millennial generation and, and after are looking for more of those specific new products that are catering to them, that are doing things beside that are that are uh, more aligned with, with the consumer identity, right? And people want the new, they want the family owned, they want the local, they want all of those things. And it just makes the, all, and, and for a lot of those companies, it, unless you're coming in with just a, a big fat bankroll, like you, you're not going to be able to compete on those bigger, uh, on the bigger stage because you're going up against those those Unilever, PepsiCo, yeah. Procter and Gamble backed companies or owned companies that can just throw resources at it. And, and it's all about uh, acquiring shelf space rather than yeah. actually being profitable. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're Fatco and it's, it's, you know, the Cassie and Tim show, or it's, you know, Rickaroons and it's, it's my family, like we have bills to pay on a, yeah. on a and, and it's about, you know, we, it's about having that cash flow. Cash flow is like the number one thing that I've heard from other other brands in the other small business owners in the CPG world. Cash flow is like the number one concern, right? Yeah. And and there's there's no ten thousand dollars just lying around. Like you know, if you're Procter and Gamble, and they're like, oh, that's how much it costs to get on the shelf. Yeah, no problem. You know, yeah, because we're investing millions into creating this new brand. Whereas for us, like. You said you basically started Fatco with ten grand in your bank account and probably a a relatively short time horizon to when you needed to get things profitable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if you're you know if you're P and G or or you know you're kind of a a Google ish type company, like you can just burn resources. Yeah, obviously not not that's not a sustainable thing, but you can you can kind of. Throw some things at the wall and, and see what sticks. Some companies prove for, prove it to be sustainable. Like the I recently listened to the podcast about WeWork called We Crash. I mean, and some yeah. of my friends in CPG laugh. Like, how is this real? Like, how does this happen? How can a company lose money every year but still be value? Have these crazy valuations? 
And you know, when I started this company, I think in 2014, 15, like entrepreneur, venture capital, raising money, like that was super sexy. And like, oh, how much, how much money have you raised? And what, who are your investors? And I think as the years have progressed, I've, I've become much more comfortable with, like we have no investors. And there, there are good, there are, there's good and bad to that, right? Because the good is that, yeah, if you say, hey, I want to get into Target and I need to pay for this shelf space, there's, you know, there's money, there's money available. Um, but there's lots of bad that comes with, you know, having outside money too. But yeah, you're right. Those, those big companies, they can afford to do that because they have access to capital. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it's exciting and it makes me feel good to know that I've, I've grown this company from essentially nothing to where we are now. And um, I just look at it like, you know, we, we have, we're profitable and that's something that not everyone can say. Like surprisingly, you know, you'd think, well, how will a company function long-term if they're not profitable? There are so many companies out there who are just losing money, but it's really, you know, makes you feel good to know that you're profitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh... not highly profitable, but profitable. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know, you know, we've talked about how the growth process take, you know, for both of our companies, I think it, it's taking longer than anticipated. Yeah. And there are definitely days where you wake up and you go, you know, I, I, I think the, the grass looks pretty green on that other, you know, that, that nine to five corporate side yeah. where you get to, you get to turn off your emails and, and weekends are weekends. And, yeah. and obviously there's a, there's a big trade-off there. But do you ever consider taking on outside money to maybe help expedite the growth process and just move things along, move things along a little bit quicker? Yeah, I mean, my mentality right now, and it has been for the last two years, is if I could find an investment partner who was interested in growing the e-com direct-to-consumer side of the business, um, I'd, I'm, I'd be in. I'd be into that idea. But the problem with a lot of investors is I think a lot of people focus on grocery. They focus on brick and mortar. Their question is how, how much are you doing in wholesale? And that's where a lot of the stress lies. Um, and I, I feel like it would be a horrible situation to get in to bed with an investment partner who really wants us to grow the like grocery, not online side, because I just know how hard it's been for us. You know, we've been at this for six years. We do all the, we have done all the big trade shows. Uh, you know, I've gone to Austin and met with the buyer for Whole Foods, like all these important, important accounts. They know who we are. They're no, they know we're around, but we just have such a different brand that I think considering we are in a category that is so dominated by vegan friendly and plant-based options. Like, I don't know how much skincare you buy, Grant, but if you are a, <laughs> you're a lady or you are a man who is very knowledgeable about the skincare space, it is the trend right now is plant-based, vegan-friendly. And we are obviously the opposite. And I think we've just had a really tremendously hard time getting into retail because of that. You know, we're different. We're loud and proud about it, but not everyone agrees with that. And I think some you know, some buyers are afraid that they might offend their vegan clientele if they put brands like ours on store shelves. Who knows what it is? But I've heard, I've heard no a lot of times. And, um, you know, I, th I think that's when, when you see people who raise, companies who raise money 
a lot of the focus quickly becomes how many shelves are you on? And I just don't, I don't see that as being the quickest route to success for a brand like ours. Yeah. I, again and again, I, I feel like it's, it's like here when hearing you talk is, is like hearing, uh, a more eloquent version of all the, the thoughts that are just floating around in my own head. <laughs> I, I just appreciate your, your insights and, and completely understand. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. I think we're kind of, kind of just to, to wrap things up here. Yeah. Um, let's see the PPP just was uh, the, the paycheck protection program. Yeah was just uh congress just reauthorized a or authorized a second round of funding for that is that something that you are applying for are eligible for or looking forward to yes yes we uh we actually have an existing sba loan through a bank in florida and so our application for the ppp was actually really easy they that bank streamlined the process really well and we you know they have all of our information uh, getting a small business loan is a very long and tumultuous process. So about two years ago, we did all of that and it was a big deal. Um, but it put us in a good position now because that bank has all of our information. So we submitted everything in a very timely manner. I was excited because I signed yesterday. I got a DocuSign in my email for like the final paperwork for the PPP. So I feel like we're moving along. It might be a false sense of feeling like we're moving along, but I feel like we're getting somewhere and we could see that come through, but we haven't, we haven't seen any money yet. Okay, perfect. Um, can, can you just give me the, the quick synopsis of, of uh, where you are with the PPP? I'm sorry. I, I got that you were, your bank in Florida, you had the SBA. Were you able to can yeah. just like kind of roll that over? I saw something that there was going to be, potential forgiveness for SBA loans and or payments over the course of the next next six months or so. I know yeah. for us, we're looking to get uh, 2.5 times the average month um, payroll from yeah. 2019. And I believe that should be deposited into our account any day now because we've we we got in line day one. Um, which did is you a, sign like the final loan document? We did the system? yeah, we did did the docu sign, got cool. the it, I did amazing. that yesterday. You did that yesterday? Yeah. It's amazing how quickly that, A, that funding was gone, uh, B, how quickly the banks are moving, are moving loans, like things that are normally taking, you know, 45 to 60 days, I think, is what, yeah. is what our banker told us, are being approved in like three to five days. Yeah. Um, but because of that, they don't even, like the, the rules are being written after the funding is already being given out, I think. Like yeah. I asked our banker, what information, what records specifically should I be keeping in order to, to ensure that, that the loan for, will be forgiven? Yeah. As is intended and as like the only reason why we're taking out that loan basically. Yeah. Or, and she was like, I will send me whatever questions you have and I will go over them uh, on our, our nightly wrap up call because I don't know the answers to that. And this is like the, the head of, uh, she's like the, the a VP at the, at our local bank. She knows our, pro she knows us. She's like, yeah. she's fantastic to work with. And she's like, I don't have the answers for you yet, 
because yeah. they had just ha like everything is being written right now. Yeah. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah. Um, so for you, like, are, are, did you have to apply for the PPP specifically or were you able to translate? Are you going to be able to have some of that, that SBA existing? The, the, are you going to be able to have some of that existing SBA loan that you have right now? Are you going to be able to have some of that forgiven instead? How's that going to work? Yeah, so we uh, we did sign up for the PPP and it's same thing, 2.5 of payroll. We're using it for payroll as well as our, you know, rent and utilities. I think you can use it for that too. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it through the bank in Florida. So we have an existing SBA loan um, that we pay every month. So we're doing it through them. So they have all of our information. Every month we pay about $3,000, $3,500, something like that on an existing loan. And I believe that they're either, I still haven't clarified this. Cause like you said, like a lot of people don't have answers. Um, if they are forgiving the next six months of payments or if they're deferring it. So, I mean, it'll be nice to have that cushion to be able to not have to make those monthly payments for the next six months. That's a huge deal. Um, and then that, you know, that'll pick up again in six months. However, we'll see where things are at in six months. If the government continues to, to do stuff to help us out, we'll see. But as it stands right now, yeah, we have that SBA loan payment monthly payment is pushed out by six months and we should be able to use that ppp money for uh, payroll rent and utilities good yeah i guess we'll all find out more information in the next couple of weeks and and just go from there Ho hopefully it's forgiven because i know that the the impact COVID is having on small businesses i i think is going to continue to translate into uh, more and more unemployment if there isn't uh, forgiveness and these programs aren't extended uh, yeah. just because there's this precipitous drop off in in revenue from so many channels that we had become accustomed to yeah that it's it's uh, it's pretty brutal so yeah. uh, I'm I'm ready to, to, to wrap this thing up uh, on our way out I just have a, a two kind of final questions and then you're welcome to say uh, you know, <laughs> if you have anything else you, you want to add, feel free. Okay. But um, one, what do you wish that you could have told yourself five, six years ago uh, when you were getting things started? Or put differently, what do you wish you had known five or six years ago? And would that have changed what you had done, have done, where you've put resources, et cetera? Yeah, totally. I think my biggest lesson learned is I wish I had gone more by the mantra of slow and steady wins the race. I think we came out of the gate really quickly. We had, you know, we saw all, you know, you hear the stories of brands, emerging brands getting bought by bigger companies and you have this, this uh, expectation of how quickly your business should grow and you spend money accordingly, right? You spend the 15 grand to go to Expo West, you, pay, you, you spend all the money because you're like, this is going to result in something. I'm going to grow this brand and then, and then I'm going to be with Tom on a yacht in the Bahamas, right? But I, I think that like the better mentality for us at least would have been slow and steady wins the race, save the money, go into retail or try to go into retail when you're ready. And maybe we weren't ready in those first couple of years. Um, 
just really that for me, I wish I had practiced more slow and steady wins the race, but it's hard. You're, you're new. It's exciting. You just want to like pedal, put the pedal to the metal. And, um, that I think is something we could have done differently. Yeah. I 100% agree. It's so easy to get caught up in the shark tank mentality or, yeah. or, and just kind of what you see, you know, you, you read an article about X company having been in business for 16 months and then being acquired or being, you know, being acquired and, and exiting for 40 million yeah. or, or whatever. You're like, okay, great. So that, that's what you got to do. Oh, well then 10 spending 10 grand here or five grand here, 15 doesn't matter because boom, that payoff is going to be huge. And it's like, well, no, you need to set yourself up for what's the, the 99% likelihood not yeah. that one percent oh well if we win the lottery then the, you know all the money i spent on lottery tickets is yeah. insignificant yeah uh, yeah i i i wholeheartedly agree that it's really important to to be uh very intentional about following a a six-month plan a, a year plan and going after the core pillars of of your business that are going to be the most profitable profitable and are going to support you as you continue to grow yeah uh last question here what is the best way to support fatco from uh for for an individual yeah the best way for an individual to support fatco is um a buying our products that's obviously the best way you can and, find them on fatco Yep, Go I was gonna say, and what what, yep. what channel what channel is the best way to support Fatco? Yeah, I mean, you can buy it at Target. It's probably going to be clearance priced. So if you really like Fatco, check out your local Target in the next couple months because they'll probably be clearancing out our products. Um, but also Thrive Market, Amazon, Fatco.com, um, all those places. And the second way that you as an individual can support small businesses, it might not be intuitive, but supporting on social media. So like posts, comment on their posts, um, share posts with friends, tell, uh, tell friends and family about our brand. Um, that's another way that you can support business, small businesses, because the way those algorithms work, that's really helping our content get out to more people. So that's always helpful as well. Yeah. Yeah. My, my sister has been uh, really inspiring. The one who works with me full time at Rickaroons. Uh, she's been buying, she's been trying to buy something from a small business at least a couple times a week online. She's been like sending them to random college friends, uh, awesome. you know, $15 here, $20 here. Those little things they they really do add up, and I feel like she's voting with her dollars and is like really setting a good example for the rest of us on just how to support small businesses. And totally. I know I wrote a, I wrote an email when this all started out to my friends and family, saying, "Hey, here's where we are. We're we're taking this really big revenue loss. Things are going to be different. We could really use your support if if you've ever thought about buying Rickaroons and maybe you just haven't quite got around to it yet, or you know, and also we're a packaged good that." is you don't have to go to a grocery store and stand in line and risk infection. Yeah. So it does, you know, it, it, it fits the, the needs of the time, but now the time to do it. And if you don't have the, the resources from a financial standpoint to spend on, you know, we're, we're, we're in that kind of luxury ish 
uh, price echelon within yeah. our industry, right? You can always go buy Cliff Bar at a dollar a piece or something, and when regular yeah. things are two two fifty, so I I get it. But if you're still looking to support the 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 social media likes, shares, comments, etc., those really do help. So I, yeah. I appreciate you you bringing that up. It's just a it's a good point that there's a, a positive impact to be made for you to vote with your. I should say you should you can vote with your resources rather than just with your wallet. Yeah, uh, you know, either time or money, just by helping and um, you know those those little things that go a long way, and they're certainly appreciated, especially by the smaller brands. Yeah, um, you you and me both. Yep. So exactly. Uh, la- last thing. I just wanted to say how much I appreciated how on your website, it's like all of the stuff about your, your brand and your philosophy. Uh, and it, it's just great, you know, the clean ingredients and, and being in touch with, with, with earth, et cetera. And then there's a, the, the quote that I'm going to end this show with, which is from Tupac Shapur. Tupac. Yeah. Tupac. Um, so the, the quote from Tupac on your website is it's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's change the way we live and let's change the way we treat each other. Yeah. And I, I love that. It, it brought me back to, to high school cruising and <laughs> listening to, to, to changes, uh, one of the all time great songs. So thank you right. for bringing that, that back to the, to the <laughs> forefront. I'm, I'm probably going to uh, listen to that song later today. Yeah. Right. Get it up on Spotify. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Cassie, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. I had a, I had a great time. I feel like you just Thanks had for having me. So, so many insights and just put things so much more eloquently than I, I ever could have hoped. Um, I, I wish you all, all the best and we'll have to check back in, in, you know, hopefully a, a month or two as, as things start to ease up and start to re- return to normalcy. Yeah. Um, sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was really fun. Thank you so much to Cassie Bernvoth for being on the show. You can find her whole line of skincare products at fatco.com. That's fatco.com. Thank you to Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for use of their song Geronimo. Their lead singer Ryan Armistead was my guest in episode 5 where he shared about his cold-pressed juice company, Happy Moose Juice. Time for the unsponsor of the show, aka a small business that you should support if you can because it's an awesome product made by an awesome person. This week we go back to the arts, an industry gasping for air as shows, festivals, fairs, and in-person gatherings have been literally outlawed. Today I encourage you to check out the artwork of Jesse Miller, aka the Norman Rockwell of the Hawaiian North Shore. As a surfer, diver, San Diego beach lifeguard, and overall beach enthusiast, his artwork embodies his passion and love of the ocean. So if you're looking to add a gorgeous ocean or surf-themed watercolor to your life with a print, original, or commission, check out Jesse's website, jmoceanart.com. J is in Jesse, M is in Miller, OceanArt.com. And for more about this podcast, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates. That's biz with a Z. I would genuinely love to hear from you with your feedback, input, interview nominations, and suggestions for future shows. Seriously, email me at smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. I'm an extrovert and sheltering in place is hurting my soul. Just like with small businesses, if you like this podcast, share it with friends. And since now we are officially on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, 
please take seven seconds and lend a guy a five-star rating. I promise I'll pay you back. And if you didn't like this podcast, forget I said anything. And someday, hopefully, soonish, this will all be over. Until then, stay safe, socially distance, and remember to shop small and buy local.